If you would again open your Bibles, remain standing and turn to John chapter 12. We're going to continue our study this morning of John's Gospel. John chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 11. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of the, those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and the ointment of the feet of Jesus, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, we need you as we see this extravagant gift, this extravagant and lavish anointing. Lord, would you do this great work in our hearts? We see this as a response, Lord, to, to grace, a response to resurrection. May you do this great work in our lives as well. This is too great for me. We ask of you, Lord, to be at work by your spirit, shaping your people, molding us more and more into the image of you, Christ, our King. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. $70,784. Just a quick Google search. That's what it says the median household income was in 2021. $70,700. Now imagine a jar with ointment worth that much money. A denarii's more or less a day's wage. Imagine a jar, a, a pound of ointment worth a year's wage. What do you make? Maybe more than that, maybe less. But whatever it is for you, it's a very significant amount. What do you make in a year? 
imagine a jar of ointment worth that much. Now imagine somebody at a party comes in and takes that, and you're watching it, you know what it costs, and they break it. They break it open and empty it on the guest of honor. What would you think? Like if you really wrestle with that question, don't just see it like this is the Sunday school. I've heard this story my whole life. If you consider the value of something like that, and then you witness something like that, and you smell it, what would what would that be like? Excessive, over the top, extravagant, lavish. How much is too much? You see, what we think of as extravagant is, is tied to the loves of our heart. This gift, this offering, this anointing of Mary is tied to the love of her heart. That's what makes this very significant at this point in John's Gospel. John is wanting us to see how exceedingly precious Christ is. This event stands at the crossroads in the life and ministry of Jesus. Here at the hinge of John's Gospel, we find two events, the anointing of Jesus here and his triumphal entry next week. Both extravagant in their own ways, both wanting to point out that Jesus is king. Neither scene presents a a sign of Jesus. Neither one has a long discourse of Jesus. All that seems to be set aside, and John is focusing in on these events and saying, pay attention. Learn something here. This morning we have this first event. It comes on the heels of this kind of split decision on Jesus, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead, announcing that he himself is in fact the resurrection and the life. And then he calls a dead man out. And then we saw that the whole community seemed split, right? Some came to Jesus. They believed in him. But others reject They go to the Sanhedrin to turn Jesus in. And out of the mouth of Caiaphas, we saw last week, came the idea of substitution. Don't you know that it's better for one person to die for the whole nation than the whole nation should perish? It's exactly what Jesus has come to do. John is telling us, look, pay attention, this is who he is. And then our text last week ended with this ominous note. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. That's how we went out. And then the scene opens on a party. Such bravery. Two miles from the seat of power and they're throwing a party. So we're going to look at the anointing of Jesus, and then we're going to look at a couple of responses to that anointing. First, this extravagance. 
John wants to, to lay the setting out for us six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. This is the second time in just a few verses that John is mentioning Passover. But now he presents it like a countdown. Six days. Passover will be Thursday evening, which is how they reckon days. When the sun sets, Friday begins. How does he mention these days like this? And he's going to keep tracking with the days as we go. He did something very similar the first week of Jesus' ministry. He marked that full week leading up to his first sign. So he's flagging us. He's like, hey guys, just like I tracked the first week of his ministry, I'm tracking with the end too. Pay attention. John tells us the location where Bethany... This is where he raised Lazarus from the dead. He reminds us of that scene. You remember that Lazarus, the one I just told you about? You remember that guy? Yeah, he's reclining at the table eating with Jesus. You remember the whole story, right? Lazarus sick. Jesus delays. Lazarus dies. Lazarus in a tomb. Four days. Lazarus stinking and Jesus coming and calling him out. That Lazarus, that's the one who's sitting here eating dinner with Jesus. So they gave a dinner for him there. What do you do for the person who raises your brother from the dead? Pay him lots of money. Can you pay enough for that? What would you pay? Is there enough? She's not trying to buy Jesus out. They're throwing a dinner in his, in his honor. This is, this is honor. This is thank you. This is worship. So they have a feast. They're all there. Martha's serving, which is what she does time and time again. Put yourself in this room. What must this have been like? What an amazing scene. Here, this formerly dead man, this family, and we have to believe several others, all the disciples are, are here. In verse 3, we hear this amazing reality. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. It's a crazy scene. It's crazy. John gives us brief detail and it's filled out for us a bit in Matthew and Mark where we see Jesus call this a beautiful thing. Very rarely does he note beauty in his life. And he does it here. Jesus says wherever in the world the gospel will be proclaimed that this will be part of it. And you know what? He's right. It's recorded for us in three of the four gospel accounts. 
J.C. Ryle comments on Mary. She did it under the influence of a heart full of love and gratitude. She thought nothing too great and too good to bestow on such a Savior. So how do, we, how do we see the reality of it? Well, I think we are meant to see the value of this ointment. Putting all the, the details together, we, we, we learn something of its incredible value. It's nard or spike nard. It's rare. It's an oil extracted from the root of the spike plant, which grows in India. It wouldn't have been easy for her to get her hand on. We're told here and in the other accounts that it's worth, again, 300 denarii, which is an astounding reality. And if you put these things together, someone who possesses this this ointment, it's kind of like an insurance policy in a time without insurance. How are we going to make sure our family can eat in bad times, right? If we have a recession... Times get hard. Oh, I have this thing that I can sell that's worth a year's wage. We're told in Matthew and in Mark that Mary puts this ointment on his head and his body. Here, though, in John, there's something different. He places her at his feet. And she puts the ointment on his feet and wipes them with her hair. Notice how easy it is for her to do this. It's not full of fanfare. It's not full of some big announcement. Hey, everybody pay attention. I'm about to do this thing. No, she simply does it. And again, don't lose sight of the value of it. How do you treat a year's worth of your wage? She simply does it. She pours it all out on Jesus and she delights to do so. Not just one or two drops, which would have been really um, standard for this kind of a thing. They would have honored the guest by doing something like this. She covers him in it. Wipes his feet with her hair. Is there anything like this in your life? Anything that you go and buy and you're just free with your money. You, you, you really enjoy. There, there are tons of things that we buy that we have to buy. Right? You have to buy groceries and things for your home, of course. But is there anything that you buy just for pure joy and it's easy to spend your money on? That's what this is for her. This isn't a must. This isn't a necessity. This is extravagant beauty and she does it freely and joyfully. She loves spending this money. She's not mentioning the cost. Other people do that. She's simply loving her Savior. Again, I would ask the question, is there anything in your life? And I ask that because... Your heart, just like my heart, those things that we use our money for reveal what's going on in our heart. Those things that we would joyfully and freely buy should reveal something to us about the loves of our hearts. Mary is showing 
us what it means to love the Lord our God with all our economic might. What makes Mary so generous? I think it gives us a clue. The brother that was formerly dead is at the dinner. She has seen the glory and power of Christ through resurrection and her life is forever changed. We'll have more to say about that in a little bit. Notice not only does Mary come bearing an incredibly lavish gift, but she was willing to break several customs along the way. She is willing to be the lowliest of lows in the room. She puts herself at the feet of Jesus. We already noted the vast expense but there are more details. She lets down her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. Women simply didn't do this in public. This would have been seen as a scandal. You don't go around with your hair down in public. You see all these men around here? Don't do that. Two, she takes the lowliest place at his feet. Again, the position of a servant. This is what the lowest servant did. You couldn't ask a regular household servant to do this. That's a ter- you know how nasty feet were? How nasty are your feet? Imagine wearing sandals all the time and walking everywhere you went. It's a terrible thing and she places herself there. She scandalously anoints Jesus touching him in public, which again is rarely done. She is breaking with custom Mary's love for Jesus. Her appreciation, her worship, her devotion outweighed any notions of social propriety. She's not doing anything improper, but she's willing to step on the toes of propriety to love and serve Christ She's worshiping Jesus. I think it's an incredible lesson for us. Are we known for our love and devotion for Christ, not just privately? But what about outside of these walls? Yes, it's okay in here to believe in Christ. It's okay to have crossed that line, to to be a baptized member of His church. What about outside of this? Are we willing to step on the toes of propriety for the name of Christ? Mary was utterly unafraid. But she does all this with threat. There is a threat. If you hear about Jesus, if you know where he is, you're supposed to go turn him in. And instead of that, she's throwing a party for him. Do you see her courage? Do you see her heart? Notice another detail that John gives, not just of the actions of Mary or the details of this ointment, but the description of the aroma. John tells us the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This word fragrance calls to mind a word that comes up again and again in the Old Testament. That there are pleasing aromas to the Lord that fill the place. 
Exodus 29, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma. Again, 29, verse 25, then you shall take them and wave uh, your hands and burn them on the altar on the top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. Exodus 30, we could go on and on. It's the, here the temple, is, the tabernacle is being constructed and they're being given instructions on how to do it. The specific instructions, what is made is anointing oil. And the fragrance of this fills the tabernacle. John is trying to, to tell us something in this detail. He's telling us that Jesus is in fact the true temple. Jesus is the true tabernacle. Here he is. Just as he told us in chapter 1. Here he is tabernacling among us. And I think this aroma goes forward as a um, applying not just to Christ but to us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for we, church, you and me, are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. We are the aroma of Christ. So we have this incredible act of love and service and devotion, this brave act of Mary pointing to Christ, worshiping Christ, and like so many other things in John's gospel, it has wildly different responses. First, look at Judas in 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he, was, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? With the perfume smell still heavy in the air, filling the whole house, Judas Iscariot pipes up. We're told in the other gospel accounts, not just them, others grumble as well. But John specifically names Judas. Here in light of this incredible act of love, devotion, and worship, you have a naysayer. Hey, this, this was too much. This was too extravagant. For him, it's not about worship, it's about economics. It's about dollars and cents. He's done the mental calculations. He knows how much it's worth. It's not about worshiping Christ. It's about his calculator. It's about money. And Mary and Judas, John is giving us two options for approaching Jesus. The first option is this, you're completely his. You belong to him, body and soul, down to the marrow of your bones. You love him. So no act of love, no act of obedience, no act of worship is too lavish. You've seen him. Your eyes have seen and you can never, ever go back. The other option is this. Rather than giving all for him, you are willing to sell him out. Do you see the, the difference? Mary's willing to give everything, and Judas is going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. 
two completely different worldviews, both involving money. One says, there's nothing too lavish that I can give, and the other says, I'll sell him out. Jesus doesn't focus at all on Mary's act of worship. It's just a dollars and cents transaction that is not good in his eyes. The pretense of his complaint is this, well, we could have given all the money to the poor. Imagine how many poor people could have eaten if we had just sold this and put the money in the bag that I carry, then we would be in good shape. A lot of poor people would eat. But we know it's just pretense. He cares nothing for the poor. Look at what John tells us. He gives us the insight in verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. John knew the score. We remember Jesus' words about the good shepherd and the hired hand. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. The thief comes to do what? Steal and kill and destroy. That's the image we see here in Judas. John presents Judas as a thief in contrast to the service of Mary. Service in Christ's book is greatness. She's the servant and he's a thief. They're opposites. One is looking out for the needs of others in extravagant ways, and the other one is saying, what's in it for me? Here's another lesson for us. Where does this kind of love of money that Judas has going on in his heart, where does that land? Of course we know where it goes with Judas. Where does it end for him? It's going to be hanging in a tree, dead. A selfish life, a materialistic life is a half-life. It's fine to have money. The rich man and the burial of Jesus, just over and above. Nicodemus had money. Lazarus, Mary and Martha had money. It's not the issue. It's the love of money and the desire for more that is so deadly. You remember 1 Timothy 6? We, we went over this together not too long ago. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Money is not the issue. It's this love of it that plunges people like you and me into ruin and destruction. That's where it's going in his life. Both realities, ruin and destruction, are true in Judas' life. He wanders away from the faith and having pierced himself with many pains, he will die. Chrysostom observes, quote, a dreadful thing is the love of money. It disables both eyes and ears and makes man worse to deal with than a wild beast, allowing a man to consider neither conscience nor friendship nor fellowship nor salvation, end quote. The love of money is tricky, however. It's very clear and on the surface here, but even having it clear and on the surface here in Judas's life, he was one of the disciples. 
And we have something very similar at work in our culture. Because far from being viewed by our culture as this sin, it's viewed as a good thing. Books, podcasts, websites, all desired, all designed to to focus our attention and, and feed this part of us that loves money. It's not viewed by the rest of the world like pornography, sexual immorality, alcohol or drug addiction, eating disorders. On and on the list goes. Those are, those are behind closed doors kinds of things. You, you don't want to be outed with those kinds of things going on. But the love of money, I'm just fine. A few years ago, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. And he's right. He talks about worldliness. Envy, jealousy, judgmentalism, anger, pride, selfishness, all respectable. You're good to go. The love of money, encouraged. Here it's seen as the polar opposite of this act of love and devotion for Christ. If our greatness in the kingdom is not money, then what is it? Again, Mary has already pointed the way. It's service. It's loving others. It's not in getting, but in giving ourselves away. That is greatness. Judas's reaction isn't the only one. Jesus also responds. He said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Listen very carefully. Jesus takes it personally when the worship of himself is attacked. He gives a sharp rebuke to Judas. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. He has a different take on this anointing. It's not a waste at all. Rather, it's a kingly anointing and a preparation for his burial. And he he wants her to keep it. Look look at that. I have no idea what that means. That she may keep it for the day of my burial. We know that there's none of the ointment is left. That she empties it. We're told that. Commentators are split on what's going on. One thing I know we can say for certain is this. Her gift will continue as a treasure in her heart as long as she lives. She will keep that. Soon, within a week, she will watch him die. Lifted up on a cross, nailed there. And all during that time, she's going to have this treasure in her heart. She's going to know what she did. She doesn't know that Jesus is going to the cross. She doesn't know for certain that she is anointing Jesus for his his burial. She, She has none of that. Just like Caiaphas, God is in control of all of these events. Jesus concludes that the poor are always here, but he will not always be here bodily. 
So if you and I today wanted to take a year's worth of salary and just pour it out on Jesus' body, we couldn't do it. But he gives us the option. What option do we have? He says it. Lavish giving is still allowed as an act of worship. What does he say? The poor. The poor you always have. Calvin says, quote, alms by which the wants of the poor are relieved are sacrifices acceptable and of sweet savor to God. And that any other kind of expense in the worship of God is improperly bestowed. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Matthew 27, when you feed the hungry, we're told, or give, thirsty, give the thirsty drinks, when you welcome the stranger, when you clothe the naked, we read this, the king will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's what Jesus says. In Philippians and Hebrews, we read that missionaries and giving support to missionaries is actually the worship of God. I have received, Paul writes, full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. As we close, what... Again, what transformed Mary to do something so lavish, so crazy? What would transform us? For her, it was watching her brother come out. After hearing Jesus shout, he obeyed. How much greater the resurrection of Christ by his own power and the power of the Father, and the power of the Spirit. Conquering death. How much greater His resurrection. There's one more contrast in here for us to, to note. Mary's doing this incredible act, and meanwhile the Sanhedrin are looking not only to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus. How blind. How utterly blind. This is the depth of their power, of their hatred for Jesus. They want Lazarus dead. So I guess the question for us is, what do we do with the resurrection of Christ? If Mary's heart was transformed like this, seeing who Jesus is, this glimpse of resurrection glory, what about us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, may we be shaped and transformed as we hear it. Or as we see this lavish act of worship, would you do a great work in us, shaping us and forming us the way we think about you, Lord. May our giving of our money and our time and our very lives be a sweet aroma to you, Christ, our King.
pray in your name. Amen.